researchers want to hear from patients. Patients and their families want to be involved. Why is this so hard to do? My name is Kevin Fryert. My 30-year career at Pfizer gave me a chance to learn about many facets of drug discovery and development. When I retired, I started Salem Oaks to help patients understand the world of biopharmaceutical R&D so that they can be more effective partners and shape the future of medicine. We think that if patients and researchers got to know each other as people, the conversations would be much easier to start. Each month on Unprobable Developments, I will interview scientists, investigators, and patients who are actively working in medical research and development. Our goal is to help patients and those who care about them to get to know the kinds of people working on their behalf. Welcome back to Improbable Developments. Today, we're talking to Mike Wenger. Mike is the Vice President of Patient Engagement at TrialScope. Could you tell us a little bit about TrialScope, Mike? Yeah, definitely. So TrialScope is a software company that uh, builds technology for the life sciences industry. We work with many different pharmaceutical companies, including 16 of the top 20. Uh, we work with many mid-sized pharmaceutical companies in biotechs as well. And we have a, a suite of different technologies, including tools that help them manage their clinical trial data and disclose that to external stakeholders. So organizations like the FDA, uh, government registries like clinicaltrials.gov and patients. And then we also have solutions to help them support clinical trial recruitment efforts as well. Great. So your primary customers are those companies and those organizations that are tracking um, clinical trials. Exactly. So you've only recently joined TrialScope within the last, I guess, probably four, five, six months now, but how did that come about? What were you doing before then? Yeah. So I joined TrialScope in September of last year. So I guess I'm coming up on eight or eight or nine months now. Um, but it, uh, it, it's been a fun, fun journey, really, uh, uh, a great place to, to work before TrialScope. I'm a software developer by trade, and I've been in the clinical trial recruitment space for about the past 10 years. I first started at the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research. I joined that organization uh, and was there during a really interesting period where we were developing technology for the Parkinson's community uh, around clinical trial awareness, clinical trial matching, as well as a patient longitudinal registry to help with research. And when I left the foundation, I started a company, Clinical Trial Connect, where we worked on similar sort of solutions for other patient advocacy groups uh, and had an opportunity to work with some great organizations over the past several years. And uh, ultimately, I ended up meeting uh, uh, the CEO of TrialScope about a year ago at a Biden Cancer Initiative event where we were talking about a lot of the challenges in the recruitment industry for both patient advocacy groups as well as for patient recruitment companies. And a lot of those challenges stem from poor trial data and uh, a need for way, different ways to try to improve that trial data. And so when I learned from uh, the CEO a little bit more about TrialScope and, and what they do in the industry and, and the fact that they manage and oversee 40% of the industry trials that are on clinicaltrials.gov, 
it got me really excited about all the different ways we could maybe try to uh, work with the pharmaceutical companies directly to improve that data uh, and try to unlock more value in the industry. Ultimately, I, I joined the TrialScope team as part of an acquisition of Clinical Trials Max. Oh, congratulations on that. It's always nice to have your company acquired and you get to go along with it. But maybe we should go back to the beginning of, of where Mike came from. Where'd you go to school and, and how did you find yourself in this field of, of clinical trial data, you know, from technology, but, but clinical trial data? Yeah, I uh, grew up in northern New Jersey. I, I went uh, and attended undergrad at in upstate New York, Colgate University. And uh, very much was on a different life track or career track. I uh, think at one point in time, I was a, a, an economics major. And I think I was probably heading to, to New York City on a finance career track. And uh, senior year of college, I was having some, some headaches and uh, went to my doctor. And he called me back in to say, we have to send you over to... Uh, Mount Sinai in New York City, there's there's something that came up on a scan that doesn't look right. And uh, this was over winter break, my senior year. And uh, I was diagnosed with a, a brain tumor, a, a lipoma brain tumor. And uh, the, the prognosis was really interesting, or not interesting, it was a mixed result where they didn't know if the tumor was the cause of the headache. Uh, they didn't know how fast the tumor was growing. And so there's just a lot of unknown. And the, um, the recommendation was to come back in a month period to take a new scan and, and to monitor the, the growth rate of the tumor. And in the meantime, to start a headache diary to track what was happening when I would have my headaches. And so over the, the course of that senior spring, I monitored closely my headaches. I made some lifestyle changes, started sleeping better and eating better. And, and kind of quickly learned that most of the headaches were attributed to stress or rather lifestyle choices. And then in a follow-up scan, realized that, that the, the tumor was growing very slowly and had a very fortunate prognosis that it's something that probably won't affect me in my lifetime and wouldn't need any treatment or surgery. But it definitely was a, a very eye-opening experience, made me very appreciative for the prognosis that I received. And also, I, I recognize that not as, that many folks aren't aren't as fortunate, and so that put me on a a different track where I started thinking a little bit more about healthcare as a career, and uh, it's ultimately what led me to eventually joining the the Michael J. Fox Foundation a few years later, and that's when I first learned about drug development and clinical trials and and all the the challenges and of what it takes to participate in research amazing series of events there. Um, the fact that you, the, the headaches were a problem led to finding this tumor. You took care of the headaches and I'm guessing, so the tumor hasn't been treated or anything since it's just part of you now. Correct. Do you still monitor it? It, it is a, um, it's a benign tumor. Uh, it's a, a lipo lipoma tumor. Um, I do go back and, and periodically do follow-up scans just to keep an eye on it. Yeah, it's great to hear. I, too, am a, had a brief tumor incident. Mine was cancer. 
but it was only about a two month journey for me. And, and I get to the point where, you know, I say, yeah, I'm a cancer survivor, but I don't bring it up. I don't remember it. It was part of my life. It is part of my life, but it's not an everyday worry at all. And that's been 23 years now. So it's great to be here and talking to you. Um, so what did you learn? You said it was life, you know, altering. What did, what did you learn through that? I learned a couple things about it. Obviously, the, the big one is life is short. Make the most of it. Do things that you enjoy. I think uh, people spend more time at their, their day job than they do with friends and family. And, and so if you're, if you're not doing something that excites you or challenges you or something you're excited to, to, to work on, uh, that was a big driver for me to, to seek out a career that I was passionate about. Um, and then the, the other big takeaway for me was, and this isn't the case in all situations, but, but at least for, for my experience with those headaches, the fact that I was able to, to change certain things in my lifestyle and, and improve um, those symptoms, that definitely opened my eyes to things like the quantified self movement and other folks that are very keen on tracking aspects of their health and um, looking to improve their health by making subtle lifestyle changes. Again, it doesn't work in all instances, but uh, it, it did work in my case. And uh, it definitely has made me more attuned in what's going on with uh, the folks that are in that movement. Well, you talked about having to do a headache diary. And the, the first thing I thought of is doing a diary gives a headache to me because it's a, oh, I've got to do it every day. But when you're when you're dealing with something like that, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be careful about this. And it leads right into what you found yourself doing in life now, which is, you know, helping people manage the data and making sure that data is high quality so that it can be useful. That goes right back to something you probably didn't even realize you learned by doing a diary like that, but it's there. Now, as a software developer, the, the data, the quality of the data, being able to learn from that data, it, it becomes powerful at the individual level and it becomes powerful uh in the aggregate level when we're talking about many patients absolutely so you find yourself at michael j fox foundation what exactly did you get hired there to do and then what did you what did you do there what were your big projects it was a really interesting time at the fox foundation we had recently created a digital strategy team we focused on, on building out a digital strategy team that would expand what the organization was doing beyond just fundraising and funding research, which was something that we were successful in the past with, but starting to think through other ways we could accelerate uh, the development of therapies and, and hopefully a cure for the Parkinson's community. And historically, one of the biggest bottlenecks is clinical trial participation. Pharmaceutical companies spend a lot of money getting a, a drug to a point of being able to run clinical trials. A lot of time and investment goes in, and there's a lot of stats uh, around it takes 10 to 15 years for, for a therapy or drug to, to come to market. And a lot of that time is spent in that clinical trial period. And it's a very important step from uh, ensuring safety and efficacy. 
But what was challenging was even though many patients were interested in participating in research, there was a gap in awareness. And so as a result, trials that needed patients uh, weren't able to, to find those patients. And on the other end of the, the, the spectrum, you had patients that were interested in participating in clinical trials that just weren't aware of the opportunity. And so for anyone that has ever participated in a trial or knows anything about clinical trials, at some point in time, you, you probably will have come across the government website, clinicaltrials.gov. And uh, it's a great resource in terms of having all of the trials that are active in the, in the United States are listed on this platform. But from a patient experience standpoint, from a, a searching standpoint, and from a contacting the site standpoint, there's, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement. And so what we did at the Fox Foundation was develop a uh, and I believe it was one of the first clinical trial finder websites for a patient advocacy group. And we pulled in information from clinicaltrials.gov and created a, a richer patient experience that included a variety of features, such as notifying patients when a new trial became available, making it easy to contact and communicate with the site teams that were running the trial, and adding additional filter capabilities so that a patient wasn't overwhelmed with too many matches, but was actually reviewing a, a, a more refined list of trials that were a good fit for them. It's great to hear how something like that unfolds. You know, you, you find one thing, you, you move a little bit farther, you, you take that problem and solve it, and, and you end up helping patients. It's great to hear how you, you know, kind of evolved through and, and solved one problem and got to another problem, another problem. And this is what the Fox trial finder that you did, this is what launched Clinical Trial Connect, if I recall? Yeah. So after uh, having left the Fox Foundation, I, I joined a, a different healthcare technology company, really enjoyed my time at the Fox Foundation and, and the challenges that we were working on. And given my uh, history with the, the brain tumor, I was close with uh, the National Brain Tumor Society and, and had worked with that organization and contributed to that organization before and recognized that their website had some of the same sort of challenges where they were linking and sending their patients to clinicaltrials.gov where they might not be getting the, the best experience. And so I reached out to them and in a volunteer capacity offered to build out a trial finder solution that could uh, create a better patient experience. And over the course of many months, we, we worked on developing that solution and, uh, and on nights and weekends and uh, ultimately launched that. And I just was hooked. I really enjoyed the, the work and I kept uh, plugging away on it. And over subsequent months, we, we started at working with other patient advocacy groups that had the same challenge and uh, started working at that time with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation the Celiac Disease Foundation. And uh, over the, the following years, we ultimately worked our way up to having 20 patient advocacy groups that we were supporting the trial finder capabilities for. And uh, I, I always told my wife, it kind of started as a volunteer project. And, and then we had server costs and, and other technology costs and uh, was really fortunate to uh, meet Jeff Kozloff, the CEO of TrialScope and 
and join the Trialscope team so that I can now actually give a, a full-time dedicated effort to working with those patient advocacy groups as well as with some of the other pharmaceutical companies and, and stakeholders that are working in the industry to, to build technology to just move us all forward. Excellent. So what is your exact role at Trialscope? I'm the vice president of patient engagement, and I oversee a couple of different technologies, including trial finders for patient advocacy groups, as well as pharmaceutical companies, as well as our trialsummaries.com solution, which helps make available plain language summaries once someone has participated in a trial. And then lastly, we have a a new solution focused on patient recruitment, uh, which uh, we are actually just in the process of of launching. Wonderful. So what's your your day-to-day life like? Is it it out there talking to patients, finding out how you can meet their needs? Or is it deep in the technological world, pounding out code or somewhere in between? Somewhere in between. I write less code than I have in the past. Uh, I, I work with a lot of great developers that are on our team. And I, I would say I have probably more of a, a product owner hat that I wear where we, we talk about features and functionality and, and someone else is actually uh, writing writing the code to bring those features to life. But yes, definitely a lot of conversations, a lot of meetings, working groups that we participate in that include patient advocacy groups, include trial sponsors, include patients. Uh, it is a really interesting industry because there's many different stakeholders. Uh, There's also the stakeholder of the the sites that are conducting the trial. And so really thinking through for all of the different stakeholders, what are the the challenges? Where are the opportunities? What are the different incentives to to make progress? A lot of conversations and I bring those insights back to the the product team and, and we think through our roadmap of what's the next important thing to tackle. Sounds like a lot of fun and and um, a lot of challenges too. But I want to know first, what are some of your proudest moments in this job or previous jobs? Definitely that initial launch of the National Brain Tumor Society's Trial Finder. It was many months, if not a few years, in the making to to get to a point where we were able to to stand that up and go live with that. Uh, and and that was a great milestone that we continued to to build momentum on. I think the, uh, the other thing that I was just really proud of is I, I spent several years working on technologies and solutions that were interesting, but, but weren't my, my passion. And I just kind of kept plugging away on that nights and weekends project until ultimately I was able to turn it into the day job. And so it's been, it's been nice to, to now not have to, I think I always struggle working on something on nights and weekends. I never felt like I could give it enough time or enough focus. And uh, the fact that I was able to to now make it a, a dedicated full-time career has been. It's a great story. And I think it's, I work with lots of young people and I always tell them, you know, follow that passion, follow something you want to work on and work will come, you know, the rest of it will take care of itself or you can go get a job and work hard. Um, so you got two choices here. You're going to end up working hard either way. Just one with your passion, you enjoy it. So what were the biggest challenges that you faced? 
biggest obstacles you may have overcome? Yeah. So in terms of obstacles, I think one is time. There's only so much time in the day, so much time in the week. And so definitely when I was before trial scope working on, on clinical trial connect, it was, it was tough balancing things. Um, you have a, a day job that I had, I uh, had this passion project I was working on, had a social life. Um, I now have a, a 16 month old. And so being a new dad has its time commitments and challenges. And so it was, it was, I always found that the, the day would go by quick or the week would go by quick. And I'd have a roadmap of things that I wanted to build or develop and um, always felt like I was behind schedule or, or behind on delivering things. And so running out of time and managing your time and prioritizing your time is, is something that was tough over the years and has gotten a little bit easier now that, that it's, it's a full-time dedicated job, but nonetheless, it, it's always tough to, figure out just how to manage what to do and what not to do. Yeah, it's a ongoing struggle for all of us. And it's, on one hand, it's, uh, yeah, it, it always feels like you're behind, but on the other hand, it gives you a sense of urgency and I've got stuff to do and, and that's actually quite fulfilling. Um, I wonder, could you tell us if there were any big turning points as you as you were leaning into this problem of trial transparency, both from the the patient's point of view, and then later now from the sponsors and the sites and getting the data right. What are the big turning points that have happened in that field? So the, I think the biggest opportunity that that we're excited that we're tackling both here at Trialscope and, and are looking to collaborate and partner with other organizations around is the data itself and the shortcomings of the data one of the things that was very clear both when I was at the Fox Foundation and then also in working at Clinical Trial Connect is that when a pharmaceutical company posts its trial information, what it, they're essentially doing is they're taking eligibility criteria, uh, which essentially is things that would make it um, possible for you to participate in that trial, as well as things that would prevent you from participating in that trial. So that list of inclusion and exclusion criteria. Today, the way it's entered is uh, it's entered as an unstructured data field. So anyone can go in and type whatever they'd like, which then makes it very, very difficult to uh, help a patient match to trials. Because what would end up happening is someone could say, well, I'm, for instance, a Parkinson's patient in New York City, or I'm a Crohn's patient in Chicago. And really what, what, what happened is there's no way to to refine search results without manually reviewing each of those trials. And so when I was working on Clinical Trial Connect and started talking to other recruitment organizations and patient advocacy groups and recruitment companies, I realized that there was a lot of energy and time, whether it was natural language processing or manual curation and review, but a lot of different groups were trying to improve matching and doing it separately, where we were all reinventing the wheel, and we were using the data in clinicaltrials.gov as our starting point. The, the opportunity in, in my mind, and, and why I'm really excited about Trialscope, is rather than everybody trying to reinvent the wheel and try to 
augment this trial data uh, after the fact, there's an opportunity to actually go right when the pharmaceutical company's employee is typing in that trial information. At that point of entry, we could now work to collect that data in a better structured way. So now maybe, for instance, in oncology, if we're talking about something like an ECOG score, we're providing better structure so that we're collecting it in a, in a way that can be used as a filter by all the different uh, recruitment organizations out there. Or if they're talking about maybe a basket trial where the eligibility criteria might be different at different sites, we can add data structure to better support that. Um, or if there's a, a situation where a site uh, stops recruiting, we can create a better feedback loop so that we can update that in real time and make sure that patients aren't being referred to sites that aren't recruiting anymore. And there's a lot of data challenges in there, and it's tough to solve some of those data challenges as a, as a, a, a stakeholder that's receiving this information just from clinicaltrials.gov. But when you incorporate the, state, the, the sponsor, the pharmaceutical company, into the solution, a lot more becomes possible. I'm just blown away listening to that. Uh, that's such a, a great idea. When I was working at Pfizer, we had such a hard time trying to keep up with the data input into clinicaltrials.gov. And we just, we said, we know it's going to be just a, a lag period between when we enter something in. We just don't know how long that's going to be. And we don't know how accurate it's going to be because data is always changing on you. What you're talking about is easing that. And also by making it consistent, it'll make it so much more useful for the people on the other end, on the back end. What a great idea. So I really appreciate the time you've given here, but I want to know more about you. What do you do outside work? You, you mentioned your family, a 16-month-old. That's got to keep you just a little bit busy too. She does. She's, she's fun. She keeps me busy. Um, we... Uh been introducing her to, to hiking more and more. So she, we have the, the hiking backpack that she hops in, but she much prefers to, to walk herself on the trails. And so that's been uh, fun Love to get into the outdoors. I try to participate in triathlons where I can. I, I definitely enjoy running and biking and swimming. I don't code as much during my day job, but my, my wife, me on, on nights and weekends, I still like to get my computer out and, and work on a project here and there. I, I've always been someone that likes to solve puzzles or, or problems and coding is, is a, the perfect pu ongoing puzzle to, where you're always trying to solve the next little problem and work your way towards a solution. And I, I do enjoy it and see myself continuing to, to program into the future. Oh, that's great. I mean, people do crossword puzzles and things you're doing just a much more applied applied puzzle that's great um and i hope your daughter learns how to hike i mean having a hiking backpack is such a great idea if you can get the kid to get into it um but if she wants to run around she's going to run around um so what's one lesson or message you'd like to leave with our listeners yeah i think for for anyone that's familiar with the clinical trial industry the the biggest takeaway for me is there's, there's so much opportunity to improve things. Uh, I spent years either through analytics on websites or talking to patients directly, learning about their different experiences. 
And what, what is clear to me is everyone's experience is unique. How folks learn about trials is different. How they, why their motivations for, for raising their hands to participate in research are different. Uh, do they move forward with a trial or not uh, is different. And similar to, to anything else it, where you could imagine you go to a really nice restaurant and, and someone gives a restaurant a five-star experience because they had such a great time. And, uh, and then you could imagine someone going to a restaurant and having a one-star experience and all the things that would be involved with a one-star experience. And I think what's tough is the, the voice of the patient isn't always as visible in the clinical trial industry. There's a lot of different stakeholders. There's a lot of different privacy restraints that prevent people from even getting to know who, who is a participant in this trial. Sometimes it's tough to know how many five-star experiences are out there and how many one-star experiences are out there. But I will say that the one thing that's clear is for the folks that have that one-star experience, it does have a ripple effect. And it does mean that they're going to tell their friends and family and the members of their patient support group, hey, I, trials aren't worth it. I, I had a bad experience because of this reason. And so as an industry, it's important to make sure that we, we try to create a, a good experience for people that are heroes in this process. And I think that uh, there's many different places along the way where we put up barriers or there's challenges that, that lend themselves to those one-star experiences. And we need to find a way to collaborate. Uh, we need to find a way to look beyond just our own organization and maybe partner with our competitors in a way that sets the patient up for success. Because when, when the patient uh, has that five-star experience, everybody will, will benefit. And uh, that type of, of collaboration and, and trying to disrupt the status quo will be really important moving forward. Excellent. So if people wanted to get in touch with you or learn more about Trialscope, where could they go to find out more? Yeah, so trialscope.com is our website. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Wandering Wanger. And my email is mike.wanger at trialscope.com. Great. I'll include that in the show notes. And I thank you once again. Uh, good luck with all you're doing. I can't wait to see what this new frontier that you guys are doing of dealing with the data on the front end, the kind of impact that's going to have on the data that comes out the back end. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Please subscribe to Improbable Developments wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends to give us a listen.